My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Think back to when you were a child. For some of you, that was a long time ago. I'm not pointing fingers, uh, Mom. Um, But uh, for others, that wasn't that long ago. And, you know, you're younger. When you were a child, when you were young, maybe a, a child or a teen or maybe even going into college, you had an idea of what your life was gonna be like. You had a picture. You know, maybe there's a big question mark. You know, maybe there's a, I'm not sure exactly you know, we sat with uh, our oldest son, Josiah, last night for dinner. And we talked about the next steps. He's in his second year. I'll have one more year of college. He did some PCC in high school. He's just like, wow. I remember that. I remember that stage and that age. Filled with wonder, filled with fear, apprehension. Remember those times when you were little? What did you want to be? Think about that. Um, I'm going to tell you what I wanted to be, and I want some of you to tell me what you wanted to be. I wanted to be an astronaut. Not just because I was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, and I saw some, you know, of that, and I want, I want it really with all my heart, I wanted to fly into outer space. I wanted to be Captain Kirk, except nicer. Um, you know, uh, I, I wanted to go to space, and then I wanted to have to go be a pilot. I had to, you know, pursue that, and then I discovered, lo and behold, my eyesight was horrible, and I would never be able to do that. And that was like the end of that dream, all right? So I never dreamt I'd be a pastor, but I wanted to be an astronaut. What did you want to be? Anybody? A pilot. pilot. Excellent. What else? A teacher, yeah. Lawyer, doctor, a what? Airline stewardess. Excellent, Ines. Did you do that? You would have been good. I would have rung that bell all the time. We all have these dreams of what we're going to do, what we're going to be, and you know what? Rarely does it turn out. Latest stats say that people that go to college, pursue a degree, graduate with a degree, only 27% of those people actually end up in the field they studied for, right? That's just kind of how it is. Life just takes a lot of turns, and that's okay as long as we know that going into it and we're flexible because God shows up in varying ways, and and some of the ways he shows up is in a lot of the ways he shows up is in our struggles, right? Life can take some challenging turns. Life can take some big dips and potholes and, 
you're running your life against the guardrail, right? You scrape it up. And, and it, what, what's amazing about God is he uses all of those things to bring honor to himself. And I believe this with all my heart to change us and to get us to where we are the most reflective of who he is in the world today. You, you could have painful circumstances and uh, all you see in your life, your, your vision of your life, the page you're writing that day is pain and sorrow and turmoil. Or you could look at it another way and you could experience that and have joy and have peace and have promise and hope, you know? I remember in high school, somebody said it this way. I don't ever remember, it's so long ago for me, but they said, you know, your circumstances can either cause you to become bitter or better. And I know that's kind of pithy. It's totally pithy, I understand that. But I hung on to the better. I'm like, I don't wanna grow bitter because of the pain in my life. I wanna get better. I want God to show up, and I believe that's true. Because all of us have pains, all of us have difficulties. We have everybody walking in today, even though most of you smiled when I was out there greeting you, a couple not, okay? Uh, but, but I know there's something inside of us. There's something that's heavy in our hearts right now. There's challenges, there's emotions, there's what's the next step? You know, what's the next thing that God has for me? I need to know which way to go. And that's, that's why I love the life of Moses. Uh, Moses, the man of God, uh, he is what we're experiencing uh, as we do our daily read through the Bible, and it's been really encouraging. This morning I read, I think, the most uplifting part of Deuteronomy toward the end. I was quoting it left and right. It's just so encouraging. But if you study the life of Moses, he didn't have an easy life, right? I mean, he was almost murdered as a child. He was almost murdered. That was the edict, the throw all the babies, the male babies, in the Nile River, He's a captive, he's a slave, he's a slave child now in Egypt, he's gonna grow up his whole life a slave. And yet, it, through an amazing set of circumstances, he ends up in a palace for 40 years. And then, even though he was almost murdered as a child, he goes out as an adult and murders someone. He's a murderer now, and he flees for his life, and then he goes into 40 years of isolation from his people. He's out there, and he's, he's a shepherd, and he's, he's far away from what everybody would have said that was a successful life. He's pretty far from that. And then God shows up and God calls him and he, he's quite resistant to that. And God says, you're gonna lead my people out of Egypt and man, God showed up. But you know, you read the story and if you've read it, man, I, I don't think I'd wanna be that leader because he had like a church of three million people, you know, and talk about struggles. I mean, he was criticized he was despised by whole groups of people. People stood against him and complained. Even his brother and sister who were older, you know, had a little bit of that anxiety of who do you think you are? You know, do you really think you're Moses? And he's like, yeah, well, that's actually who I am, you know? And um, when all was said and done, he didn't get to see the fulfillment of everything he had been living for, which was to go into the promised land. That was denied him. And you could look at the life of Moses and go, what an amazing leader. And I would say yes. But you could also look at the life of Moses and go, what a, what a leader. He experienced ups and downs. It was a challenging season for him. But in the middle of all of it, this is the most beautiful part, he experienced God. He encountered God. And I, I mean, we would all trade our lives for Moses', right? To be able to stand there at that burning bush to see the Lord face to face, to be in a tent, to be on a mountain. In fact, this is what it says in uh, the end of the book of Deuteronomy about him. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses 
whom the Lord knew face to face. And whenever, again, you see the all caps, Lord, the small caps, that's the personal name for God, Yahweh, that God revealed at the burning bush. This personal God knew him face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. And you look at that life and you go, man, Moses is this great leader. But you read between the lines and you read the details. He struggled. He had, he had issues. He, he had anger issues. He struggled. Why? Because he was a human being, right? He's just like us. But he encountered God along the journey. But from a success standpoint, really, truly, just from a success standpoint, he was a fool. Because he could have grown up and lived the rest of his life in the splendor of Egypt. He was, Hebrews tells us that he forsook that, right? The splendor, the gold, the silver, all of the prestige. I mean, he had everything anybody would have ever wanted, especially every slave, every Hebrew slave in Egypt would have wanted that. I don't know if they ever looked out and saw Moses, one of their own, and like, how did he get there? But he had it all, and he gave it up. From a success standpoint, though, people would say, what a fool. Maybe from a worldly standpoint, he was just ridiculous. Because you're only going to go through life once. Why not enjoy it all? And if you can stay up there in the palace, that's the best thing. But from a spiritual standpoint, he was the smartest guy on the planet. Because he decided to forsake what everybody else thought, would have thought was great and amazing for what he knew God wanted for him. And he pursued a life of incredible spiritual success, even though he never saw the fulfillment of what his heart longed for. When you read those stories in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's like that. They never got to grab it on their own. They never got to taste it on their own. They never got to touch it because they were looking for something that was far beyond what this world could offer. Today, I want to share a psalm of Moses. I don't know if you know that, that Moses wrote one of the psalms, Psalm 90. If you got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the middle of your book is Psalms. That's easy. And then just look at 90. They're all numbered. So just go to 90. And if you grew up in a good school, unlike me, who went to a California school, you can find 90, okay? But I want to take you through Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. And... Um, Man, I think it's beautiful. It's, it's kind of challenging in the middle of it, but it's a beautiful psalm. And along the way, we're going to see a little bit about what it would be like to have the perspective of a man that knew God face to face. So Psalm 90, uh, he begins this way in the first couple of verses. Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. By the way, just note this word, Lord. It's not all caps. And so Yahweh is this personal name for God. And yet, Lord, here, this is Elohim. This is more of a majestic name for God, a God of power, a God of creation. Elohim, El is that root there, Elohim. Elohim, through all generations, this creator God, this powerful God, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Moses starts off by talking about what I would say is the eternality of God. The God's eternal from beginning to end, even beyond that, right? And God, we look around and we see the mountains and we see our hands and all of that's from your hands. Uh, mountains are interesting because um, in, in the ancient world, uh, a person would look at a mountain and see something that's unchanging, rock solid. They, they didn't have Mount St. Helens going on there, you know, but they would look at like a Mount Hood. 
And isn't that, I think that's one of God's greatest gifts to us is Mount Hood. Just, you just look there and maybe you've climbed it, maybe you've skied it. I've been to the top, it's awesome. Um, you enjoy the, the nature, but there's something about this magnificence and splendor of a mountain or a mountain range. Remember uh, when uh, I was a high school senior and I went back to visit my grandpa and aunt in Indiana and I was thinking about going to school in, in uh, Ohio and um, I landed, got off the plane, spent a whole week there, came back. I had to tell you that I, there was like this low level anxiety in me because it's flat. Anybody ever experienced that? Like go to Kansas, right Heather? It's flat in Kansas. There's something growing up on the west coast being around the Rockies Sierra Nevadas up here in the Cascades, there's something that just lifts my heart up. I would rather be in the mountains than in the plains. And, and in the ancient world, the mountain was where you would go to meet with your God. Because think about it, visually, even all religions, the pagan religions even back then, they would build altars on high places. You see that a lot in the Old Testament, high places. And because that's where you'd go to meet with your God, you were closer to God. And so Moses says, you made even that. And so next time you're driving down TV highway and you're frustrated by the construction or the, con, you know, all that congestion, uh, just look at Mount Hood. If you can, if it's a good day when the mountain's out, right? <laughs> and you look at it, just go, God, you're God. You've been here long before me and after me. Uh, we, uh, we close on our farm here probably in a month and, you know, it's showing this weekend. And, and the part I'll miss the most are these two trees. These Doug firs, one's 400 years old, one's 500. And I go, me, I'm 57. I'm just a sapling or a sap, maybe. Um, don't write that down. Um, what's been around longer than you? Moses says, I can rest in your unfailing love because you're eternal. You've even made my hands. You breathed breath into me. The Bible says that God made us from the dirt, the clay, the dust of the ground, and breathed the breath of life in us, and one day that breath will go away and will return to dust. So he starts with this eternality of God. And I think in the middle of all of our struggles, it's good to look up. It's good to look up and see that God is so much bigger than what we're experiencing right now and has a perspective He's an everlasting God. Now, then Moses stops the eternality part of God and moves into what I'd say the fragility of humankind, of people. He says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. And again, that's what we're made of, right? We're made of dirt. If you've got little boys, they're made of dirt. You know that, right? And um, we're made of the, the dust. And I remember Cosmos back in the 70s, Carl Sagan, it's like stardust. I'm like, yeah, that's actually kind of true. <laughs> We're made of the stuff that's all around us. But God breathed the breath of life into us and made us in his image. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear they're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it's dry. It's dry and it's withered. I know the older I get, the more I realize that. There's something about youthfulness that's amazing. And you look ahead and it's just never going to end. And then you get to be a little bit older and your conversations change, right? And then your perspective changes. And then the conversations are not so much about certain things or about other things like retirement, you know? <laughs> you're like, how many years? And some of you are counting down. Some of you are like, 
counting the years since you've been retired. And others are like, retirement, what's that? I'm saying, please invest. Please put something in the stock market that's really not good right now. You know, please think about the future. Because one day, we will all be there. And there's a little bit of um, maybe a wisdom of age that comes around when you're older, you've experienced life, and you can see it better. And this is what Moses is writing about. We're like grass that, that just grows up and the scorching sun burns it away. Or James says we're like a mist that comes up in the morning and the sun just burns it away. And that, that's just life. It's so fast. And you think it's going to be forever and then one day you look back and it, it's just like that. And it's a gift. And it's a gift. But we're not eternal. We're fragile God lives on. God's the one that dwells in eternity, and he wants to interact with us. And that's the beauty of this, but it gets kind of discouraging. He says this. He says, we wither, speaking of wither, we wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out, spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Um, Heather, when we were uh, at the hospital there uh, waiting for you to get out finally, you know, Mary Beth and I are at the gift shop talking to these ladies and everything and I'm seeing these cards and they're like honest cards like there's no card that can address today and it's like, you know, this is a hard day. It's not like a Hallmark card that everything's going to be better, right? And like, but this would never be in a Hallmark. This would never be in a card. Can you imagine this? Don't write this to someone who's sick or just lost a loved one. You're like, seriously, this is in the Bible? This is depressing. Well, maybe. Commentators think that Moses wrote this psalm after the failure of the children of Israel to enter the land at Kadesh Barnea. You remember the story? God had taken them out of Egypt, took, took them to the mount, delivered his law and instruction and all that stuff, and they built the tabernacle, and then they're marching to get into the land. And what could have taken just weeks ends up taking 40 years of wandering because Moses was a man. He didn't ask for directions, no. Um, he, he, uh, he, they get there at Kadesh Barnea, and they send 12 spies in, one from each of the tribes, and it's amazing. But 10 of them come back incredibly fearful. They forgot God. They forgot the same God that got them out of Egypt would have gotten them into the land. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were like, yes, let's go. And the other was like, ah, we can't do it. And, and, and they sinned against God, and they had to wander for those years. So all of that generation died off. Anybody 20 and above, depressing. And then finally, they were able to see it. And, and commentators think that this is kind of what Moses is talking about, because this is not a daily experience for Moses. But this was a moment where, where, where God's anger burst out, and, and people saw that they had failed him. Now, I think when you think about your own life, I know we've all failed him. I know we've all struggled. Again, this is not a very good life verse to memorize for yourself. You know what I mean? Um, it's not on encouraging cards, but it's a part of our life, right? I, I, I love having time with folks, coffee or lunch or dinner, and just hearing stories. And you know what I hear at sunrise? Is normal sunrise stories like, man, I was doing this, going this way, went off the deep end, and God, through a lot of pain and sorrow, brought me back. I love that. My wife and I just had dinner with some new friends, and the same kind of story, right? We thought, and we went, and, we did, and then it crashed, and it burned, and then, yet yeah, God is good, and he brought us back. I think we all have some of this story, right? Because of our sinfulness, 
because of what the Bible says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We experience some of the tragedy of that. But he's still a good God that wants to bring us back. He keeps getting depressing though. So before we get happy again, he says this. He says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80, right? Wow. Sorry for picking on you, Heather, but I gotta remind you, you turn 80 this summer. Time's up, girl. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you're thinking like forever. Mom, you're, you're gonna be there in a year. 80. Wow. Wow. That's a life well lived, right? Moses made it to 120. God sustained him for that, okay? Um, but a long life, right? I mean, there are people that live longer, there's no question. But are you living every day? He says, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Uh, there's, a, there's an old hymn for that if you grew up in church. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. That's important, a perspective. He deserves worship and honor. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Another translation, NIV, that I memorize this in is, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so we can grow a heart of wisdom. Um, we number our years, right? You have birthdays, you have anniversaries this week, my wife and I, 26 years married, you know, and she's awesome, she's put up with me that long, uh, it's crazy, and you know, we, we number our years, we celebrate, we have all these parties for that, but we don't really number our days, and that's really a successful life, is composed of days that are successful, right, that are focused on what God wants, and so he just says, why don't we think about the fragility of life, why don't we wonder about the day, hit your head on the pillow at night, bam, you're down. It's like, what did your day look like? How did it go? How did you honor God in the midst of maybe pain or sorrow or joy, right? Because that was a, that was a gift from God. Every day is a gift. Every breath, every heartbeat is a gift from God. Don't lose it. Don't just live decades and not consider God in your life. In the middle of the eternality of God, and then the fragility of people, humankind, the final part, the final movement of this psalm I think is beautiful. It talks about the incredible love of God that sandwiches them together. Take a look at this. He says, oh Lord, come back to us. Now notice this word, Lord. It's different than the first Lord. The first Lord was this powerful creator God, Elohim, which is great, which is awesome, and he's to be feared and worshiped. But now Moses speaks directly to the personal God. Oh, personal God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Yahweh. You come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. I love that. And, and Sunrise is filled with people who had former misery. You know, I love our church because we're like, you know, we used to be. We used to be something and God showed up. And that, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. It, you know, replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see your work again. Let your children see your glory. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God get, get, show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. Now, as he finishes this up, 
It's this realization that, yeah, life is painful and difficult. Yeah, God is so much greater than us and even hard to comprehend and understand. Just reading in Deuteronomy this morning, God has thoughts that we don't even know about. We're not responsible to those. We're responsible to the ones he's laid out in the Bible, right? This, this amazing, awesome God, and then we're these frail, fragile creatures, but that draws, brings us together, draws us together, is this amazing love of God. And so two things that we do miss in this one just because of English speakers is this idea here that the word Lord switches from the creator to the personal. But another thing I want to talk about is this unfailing love. In Hebrew, it's this word hesed. And you can see it here, this idea, hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it's, it's, a, it's a word that's used over and over again in the Bible. It's a fascinating word that talks about the closeness, the care of God. I want to pause for just a second now, think, get you to think about this. You know, in the middle of all this, God is high and lofty and eternal. And us down here in painful and sorrow, God's love brings it together. I hope you've experienced it. I hope you are experiencing it. In the middle of this creator God, this big and awesome, this Elohim, down to this Yahweh, this personal God that meets us and reveals himself to us. I hope you've made that transition from a God who's out there to a God who wants to dwell right here inside of you. Don't miss that in the psalm. He's a great big God, but he's a personal God that wants to know you intimately. Don't settle for just this. Draw close to him for this. And what allows that is his hesed, his unfailing love. Uh, this is a fascinating Hebrew word. It shows up over 250 times in the Old Testament. Most of them are in the book of Psalms, and they describe this love. And it's born of a root word that means to bow one's head toward another in love or mercy. And so what, how it shows up is this showing kindness above what is expected. It's pausing enough to go the extra mile for someone. It's used to describe people who show kindness to one another, not just they're nice in the you know, shopping line or whatever, but they go out of their way. They go and take the groceries and put them in their car. That's hesed, just a little bit more. Uh, it also sh uh, shows up in the Bible in the Old Testament of people who show that to God. And, and it's when God shows it to us. And so it's often translated steadfastness in the Bible. None of us use that word, steadfastness. Um, or continuing nature of kindness, abiding action. It's a love and it's a loyalty. It's of mercy and compassion. And the basic idea is this. The Old Testament was written in a language, in ancient Hebrew, that only had 7,000 words. Okay? Today we have 171,000 English words. All right, It's a very complicated language if you not have it as our mother tongue, but 7,000 words. That means in Hebrew, commentators, uh, interpreters, translators have to work with these words and go, so the combination, how does this work? And how they actually translate it into a variety of English words, but it's all the same. It's mercy, it's loving kindness, it's goodness, steadfast love, unfailing love, faithful love. And the basic idea is this, is that God wants to go the extra mile for you. He doesn't want to just love you according to the rule. He wants to step into your life and show you the extra part of his love. And, and the most famous passage this ever shows up in is in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6. It says, Yahweh, he's revealing himself. Yahweh, 
this personal God, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with hesed and faithfulness. I'm not just gonna burn you up. I'm gonna go the extra mile to show you my closeness. Now what's so cool about this is when you read this passage, when God revealed himself to Moses, because Moses wanted to see God, and so God showed up and he said this, he said, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with hesed. This idea of unfailing love and faithfulness. You know what Moses' response is in that moment? Is he falls to the ground. He falls to the ground and he worships. That should be our response to the unfailing love of God. Our response should not be to take advantage of the unfailing love of God or to disregard the unfailing love of God or to put it off for another season of our life that's not gonna fail, but right now I wanna do my thing. The proper response is what Moses did. He just dropped to the ground and he worshiped this God when he saw him with such intimacy. The Psalms tell us that God's hesed, his unfailing love endures forever. Read Psalm 137, it's over and over and over again. I think the fullest extent, without question, of God's hesed, his unfailing love, was when he gave us Jesus. When he saw us in our brokenness, and he saw us in our pain, and he saw us in our sin, and he saw us in our suffering, and he sent his son down to live and to die for us, and to be resurrected for us. You want the best picture of Hesed? It's Jesus. Unfailing love, steadfast love, giving the extra, the extra of dying on a cross for us, of taking our sins. The Hesed love of God, the steadfastness is there, and I believe you can have confidence in it when you know him. When you think about this, this covenant-keeping God, God has now given us the, the call to do this to others. I would just imagine what it would be like for a group of people, followers of God, to those who have received this unfailing, steadfast love, this hesed, to have it towards one another. I, I, I think that would matter, right? Most people do not know what goes on in this building on Sunday morning. They just see a bunch of cars. That's all they see, right? People drive by, oh, it's Sunday morning. Church people are going to church. It doesn't connect with them though. Why? Because I wonder how much we're experiencing hesed in this place, in our own lives, an unfailing, steadfast kind of love. And then more, what would it look like if we were to walk out and we were to go to school, we were to go to work, we were to go to our neighborhoods, grocery stores, Home Depot, wherever you go. I go to Home Depot a lot these days, okay? And you experienced and gave away hesed. And you just gave away steadfast love and you went the extra mile. And you showed them God's unfailing love by your words, by your actions. I think the world would wake up to that, right? Because they're not seeing that today. They're seeing crazy, outrageous Facebook posts and people with signs and a lot of vitriol and a lot of this just vicious countering of the culture. I don't, like, I don't like it any more than you do what's going on in our culture. But how will you show and demonstrate God's love? I don't know how you're gonna live your life. I just wanna close with this. Are you an optimist? I tend to be an optimist. 
You know, I like the glass half full. Line up a few more glasses. I like them. They're all, they're 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 half full. It's great. Some of you are more of a pessimist. I'm like, I'm just you just don't even like the fact there's a glass in front of you because it reveals what you don't have. I understand that. I get that. I, I've had moments like that. Some of you maybe more uh, of a fatalist. You're looking at your life and you're like, man, if he just knew, if Pastor James just understood all that I'm going through, I, I, yeah. Or maybe you're a narcissist. You're like, man, this is awesome. This is all about me. <laughs> okay, you can wake up too. Um, whatever your view of life is, I hope it's overwhelmingly wrapped up in the fact that God is so much greater than us and we're so broken and frail and his love just brings us together. Brings us together because he loves you. And th this is not the last sermon I'll ever preach here, but I want you to know I love you. And God loves his church and has a beautiful future for you and this church because this community needs to see lived out the Hesed love of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way you've wrapped up all of your love in Jesus and you've given him as a gift. Why would we ever say no to that? Why would we ever reject that or put that off or wait for another season? But why wouldn't we just fall down on our knees before you right now and worship you as a God of unfailing, steadfast, merciful, compassionate love? We're not gonna get a better offer from the world, that's for sure. May we receive you and respond to that by living it out. We pray in your name, amen.